We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Pele leaned in and said something to Freddie. Don't let them change you. Keep working on what makes you different and what makes you special. It was great advice, but it caused me some problems. But what could change Freddie do? Soccer is going to explode and it's going to be around this kid. We were the Beatles. Everywhere we went, it was the Freddie show. And with that came the expectation and with that came the pressure. New episodes of American Prodigy drop Tuesdays from Blue Wire Podcasts. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always my co-host, Nick Filato. We come to you tonight after the Giants lost 26-7 to the Arizona Cardinals in Week 14. Really deflating loss after obviously they built a lot of momentum with their four-game winning streak over these last five weeks because one of them was the bye week. Uh, Things have probably changed as far as the playoff picture goes. We're going to get into all of that as well on this podcast. There's some overarching issues that I want to touch on that really don't stem from this specific loss to me. It's a buildup, and they shouldn't just be brushed under the rug as, you know, one bad game because they've been on tape, at least in my mind, the entire season. And, you know, when you look at this team and you consider the potential of the status quo likely to come back, at least in my mind, and that means offensive coordinator Jason Garrett, quarterback Daniel Jones, and general manager Dave Gettleman for the 2021 season and for the 2021 offseason, a big shaping moment. There at least should be questions. There at least should, We should at least explore the possibility of if this, this is right. We shouldn't just buy into the herd community that says any criticism you ever say of this team after their four-game winning streak is unfair. Because again, this team is beaten with the exception of that amazing game against the Seahawks. There's really not any credible wins in my mind on this schedule this season. So we need to answer all those questions. We need to figure out where they're at. We need to figure out what how the playoff um, 
picture is shaping up for the Giants now. So where do we want to start, Nick? Let's start with this. How are you feeling? Are you as deflated as I am after this? I'm trying to hide it. I'm trying to be a good person for the people, but I don't know, man. It's not good. That was a poor performance, especially when you consider that the other three NFC's teams end up winning. The likelihood of making the playoffs is still there, but it obviously got a lot worse. They're not in the driver's seat anymore, and you allowed a struggling Arizona Cardinals team to come into your home and beat you physically. It's kind of nuts when you think about it, man. They were not just blitzing like crazy. They were getting pressure with four men. The Giants couldn't handle the stunts up front. I don't know what happened to the protections. Kevin Zeitler looked terrible. Shane Lemieux had a bunch of bad reps. Andrew Thomas didn't look great. Matt Parrott looked horrendous on a couple different reps that I saw. And again, I haven't watched the All-22 yet, but these are just from watching the broadcast angle. I saw Zeitler twice get beat by well-timed stunts. And I'm like, what the heck is going on right now? And you're doing this with a, a hobble Daniel Jones who can't move to begin with. It's it, it, it was just a very disappointing outing from the New York Giants. And you got to blame the coaching staff, something that we've applauded. You got to blame the players as well. The defense, I think you can give an excuse to because they were out there for 70 plays or something absolutely ridiculous, but down the stretch, they couldn't get a stop on third down whatsoever. And then the offense couldn't mount any type of drives. So it was just a very, very frustrating game in a spot where we had a lot of hope. Yeah, I think you said it best. There's so much to unpack there. I don't know where I want to start here, Nick. So I'll start one by one. I'll start with what you said last, which is we had a lot of hope going into this game. Both of us, I was as confident as I've been about this Giants team in years going into this game, in years. And it's because I thought they would continue to build on what they showed over the last four weeks from a physical standpoint on offense and what they've kind of accomplished in their run game. I thought they would create more opportunities in the passing game just because Jones is coming in versus McCoy. And on the flip side of the ball, I thought they got to a point after last week's game where they were really just in every week shut down defense and agreed I'm giving the defense a major excuse here because of how pathetic the offense was in the first half and throughout the game just absolutely pathetic performance that should not be excused in my mind because the Giants are now 31st in scoring this year they are one of the worst offenses in the NFL enough of the excuses enough of saying things are going right 31st in the NFL and they played plenty of cupcakes in my mind or not plenty but enough to not be 31st but the point is I'll give the defense some excuse, but at the same time, in the second half, Arizona definitely made a nice adjustment in their passing game and started creating big plays in the passing game. In both halves, the Giants were unable to get pressure with their front four. In the first half, they were able to get some coverage plays that led to punts for Arizona. Obviously, NFL is a game of variance. Last week, the Giants got a fumbled snap by Russell Wilson on a third and one that he was easily going to run for a first down, and it led to a turnover instead of the Seahawks scoring. They got a tip pick. This week, they forced a fumble that was returned all the way to the goal line. Then, and, and they didn't score, but then they got great field position and scored on the next drive, and then a fumbled kickoff. So there are va- there's a high variance to this game, and when those plays happen, you don't tend to win games, and that's fine, but this wasn't a game where the Giants lost like 20 to 17 and the reason they lost is because of those high variance plays this was a game where they got completely dominated and those high variance plays too the giants forced Kenyon drake to fumble twice and they didn't recover either of those exactly in the game it could have been different maybe but again you can't make those excuses when you lose by 19 points at home yeah and for me why i can't fully say it could have been different maybe is because this offense did absolutely nothing over and over and over again and in the first half 
The defense gave them plenty of opportunities. This Cardinals offense barely moved the ball in the first half. Most of their scoring drives were off their short field, and they had unbelievable field position, which is a product of the Giants' pathetic offense. The Giants had 159 yards of offense. They went 3 of 12 on third down. They converted a fourth down. They had 49 plays and just 159 yards of offense. The ineptitude to have 49 of, of 49 plays, 159 yards of offense, cannot be understate, understated, and it cannot be brushed under the rug as an aberration because this is the 31st scoring team. Daniel Jones has thrown next to no touchdown passes this entire season. They don't have explosive plays on offense. We look at the tape, and we're getting excited about a few deep balls against Washington and Philly and Cincinnati, we can't, that can't be our bar. For me, this, I can't set the bar at getting excited at two or three deep balls a game. I just can't set the bar when I'm watching the Saints play the Eagles and I see the whole offense designed for clear out routes and the whole offense designed to open up the defense by running routes up the seam and using vertical attacking style. And then you watch the third and five early in this game, a key play in this game because it was the momentum had not flipped yet to the Cardinals. And every single route is breaking to the sideline short and except for one deep like over out route and everything's covered and it's a coverage sack and the or it's not a coverage sack it's a coverage mishap and the giants have to punt and, and that's a play they run a lot too that and pivot play, play garrett runs a lot i don't like that play i really don't i don't like that play either but ultimately i don't really like much of the design of garrett's passing game while occasionally there's some deep routes that get open some one-on-ones that daniel jones has done a decent job of diagnosing and putting on the spot that doesn't really speak to the coordinator in my mind at all and then you have issues that I think are overarching, like when you're down 20-7 to seven and you call a third and one deep fade. And again, it's not the worst ball in the world, but if you're a franchise quarterback, you need to make that throw. If we're going to just assume and lock in Daniel Jones as a franchise quarterback, and I took a lot of flack a few weeks ago against Tampa for saying that I think it, on a scale of 1-10, to 10, there's a 2 that he'll be here in 5 years. People think that's a crazy take. How? Why? What What do we just... Do you know how hard it is to be a franchise quarterback? Like, the Jets are going to move on from Sam Darnold, who showed promise in his rookie season. You know, this is consistent. So if you're going to throw that pass, though, you have to go for it on fourth and one. It's 20-7. to seven. You have to take that chance. The game's over if you punt. See, I'm not going to knock Jason Garrett for that because there was a concept to the boundary. It was towards the where the camera was for the TV that Caden Smith was wide open. I'm not knocking yeah, Garrett for yeah, that. Yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah. I'm not I knocking. think people would. The thing I don't like about Garrett... Or the thing that I, I have problems with Garrett is sometimes, like, in this game, the tempo wasn't all that great. I didn't really like the fact that he came out with Alf at the beginning of the fourth quarter yeah. and ran the football when you had Wayne Gallman having such a good game. There's little things like that. I think he can be a little bit predictable. Is definitely another thing that I think you can criticize Jason Garrett for. But some of those deep passes that Jones made, those, those were products of Jones. That was Jones making a decision because there were actually concepts right by the sticks, which we talk about with Jason Garrett, that were actually open. And I do appreciate Jones's aggressiveness, but you got to make that throw. And you have to. And yeah. again, let's be fair. He was playing hobbled. Like, I think that's a fair take. The Giants rolled him out twice in this game. They rolled him right, I think, two times in this game. The first time it was like, all right, he, he looked okay. That was in the first quarter. And then they did it late in the third, I think it was, maybe in the beginning of the fourth. And you could just tell it was not right whatsoever at that point. Yeah, the Jones injury situation obviously played a role in this. But just f- focusing in on the plays that were available to us and what we did see, I don't have a problem with Garrett on the play, but if you're supposed to be this franchise quarterback that were for some reason locking in because you had a three-game stretch of improvement against Washington, Philly, and Cincy, but ultimately have been pretty bad all season, 
you have to make those throws. Those aren't easy throws that throw to Shepard, but it was a makeable throw. You see guys make them all the time, the actual franchise quarterbacks, the ones who, in my mind, have at least proven it. And again, I'm not giving up on Jones. Don't (laughs) declare these takes as as definitive. I still think there's potential there, but I'm not sold on him like so many Giants fans seem to be. And I can't figure out why. But again, my issue with that is if you're going to take that shot on third and one, why are you punting the football on fourth and one? Because they say you have to because you're inside your own 30. It's 20 to seven. Your only chance of winning that game is if you don't punt the ball to the 50 and give up your field position. You have to go for it. You have to come up with a fourth and one play. It's one yard to gain. It's not that hard. It really shouldn't be. But apparently for this offense, it is because they only totaled 159 yards on 49 plays. It's, It's insanity. This was... It's amazing to me because Jones actually has the ability to stretch the field like we saw on the Tate play. And also, by the way, he almost completed another deep ball to Tate that was dropped. I don't know if that was dropped. It was a difficult catch. It was a difficult catch. It was well contested by Byron Murphy, and it was also in the sun. So there was a couple things going up against Golden Tate on that specific play. Jones also had that deep uh, dagger route to Sterling Shepard late in the game. That was one of his last throws. That was a really nice throw in tight coverage. So Jones still makes good throws. It's just, like Dan said, if you want him to secure that right to be called the long-term franchise quarterback he has to come up bigger in certain spots yeah i mean for me it's more than he has to come up bigger he has to be generating more offense in total Mm. it can't you can't have these consistent 150 yard passing games it's just you're not going to win in the nfl when you're scoring the 31st most points in the nfl you can try to grind you can get all we can get all excited about these wins against seattle but it's not a very consistent formula you see it with the steelers tonight who are in total collapse mode right now their offense cannot move the football anymore they couldn't move it against washington they lost that game they couldn't move it against buffalo they lost that game and now that their defense isn't playing lights out every week, they're not winning football games. You have to score points in this league. Mm. I do agree that I like the physical, the idea of being the more physical team. I like the idea of defense carrying to the playoffs, running game to a small extent. But you need to score points in this league, and this Giants offense right now is not capable, at least at this time, of scoring points. They didn't score that many points against Cincinnati, though they did move the ball well. But again, not that many points. Washington and Philly, they didn't really ultimately score that many points in those games. They won those games with defense. And obviously Seattle, they won with defense. This game, the defense played their heart out in the first half. They're on the field too much. You can't be on the field for 79 plays on defense and expect to play great football the entire time. It's just not, it's not realistic to me. Um, and that brings me, I guess, to point you mentioned when you when you came up with the intro here which is you know where do they go from here when it comes to Jones because clearly he's not at 100% I don't think necessarily they risked re-injury or that he got re-injured by playing today but I also don't necessarily think that there's any kind of magic formula right now to heal him so what what's the plan now because like you said that deep dagger route to Shepard was really nice toward the end of the game the two deep balls none of those are throws that Colt McCoy can make and if Colt McCoy comes in the game they're not winning any more of these games in my mind. They'll lose to Cleveland with McCoy. They'll lose to Ravens, and, and they might lose to Dallas. They might win these games. They might pull a Seattle, but it's so the margin of error is so— to try to win a game like they won in Seattle, you need to be hit high-variance plays, and the margin of error is so small. So where do you stand right now with what they should do with Jones? With Jones, you have to evaluate it day by day, see how he feels. It doesn't give me a warm and fuzzy because he exited this game, but that was also because it was a blowout. But I think you just have to evaluate it day by day to see if he's going to be ready— for that Sunday night football bout against a pretty good Cleveland Browns team. Before we continue with this podcast, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors in a tone that won't make your ears bleed. 2020 has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient 
which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world, with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly, so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control of payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire, all one word. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire, all one word. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Due to a lack of natural athleticism or commitment, or overbearing sports parents, fewer than 1% of 1% of 1% of people will ever play professional football. But instead of entering the NFL, they've joined another league, the League of Football Watchers. This football season will be different, you could say that again, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day, no matter how you watch. Because right now, having a nice ice cold Pepsi will make your football watching experience that much greater. It will take it to the next level, and sometimes the next level is what you need to unlock a great day. Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through any game, because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watchers. Is that, can we credit this one up to just great job by Vance Joseph and that staff? Because remember, like I said two weeks ago, this was the game I was more worried about than Seattle because it wasn't just that Arizona was able to chew up the Giants in the run game last year. They really stifled Jones last season. Jones did not, with the exception of that that seam ball to Red Ellison, Jones did not really move the ball at all that game. It was his one of his worst games last year. I think he was sacked eight times in that game. And too. he was sacked eight times in that game as well, like you just said. So my question is, what is what? How can you attack? Like you said, I mean, the mistake Zeitler are making we hadn't seen all season. Obviously, you can talk about Lemieux, who we've seen some bad reps of, and Thomas earlier this season. But what do you take away from from this uh, performance by the offensive line? I think they did a lot of exotic stunts, a lot of exotic twists at the line of scrimmage, and I don't have the all twenty two yet, so yeah. it's going to be hard for me to really declare. But it seemed like they were doing a really good job pressing vertical, getting that tackle to open up, and then just coming very quickly underneath that penetrating tackle end stunt the end would come underneath the penetrating tackle into a basically wide open a gap because the guard was sucked so far up that penetrating defensive player that he could not transition off in time to get to that looping end i saw that twice with kevin zeitler where it just was not a smooth transition i think it was the way that the arizona cardinals timed it i think it was the way that they sold just a normal pass rush i think it was a couple of those different things it was also some really exotic type of stunts that we're going to have to get into the All-22 to see what exactly happened. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, well, obviously, we're going to both be 
clamoring for this all 22 from that standpoint i don't think either of us are excited to watch this all 22 we were really hoping for the best as nick said before the game you know the giants do a lot better when my expectations are low so maybe i need to go yeah. back to, to to bringing my expectations back a bit lower i'm definitely the more pessimistic of the two of us as far as you know where this giants roster is at and just the franchise with the gettleman jones garrett's quo going forward but as again like i said i'm very confident this three the trio is going to be back next year um for one more at least one more year and we'll see where it goes but i i just you know i look at this game the offensive line took a major step back i thought jones took a step back but again how much of an excuse can we make for him playing through an injury it's so hard to tell i mean some of the mistakes he made though are not injury based like him missing Dion lewis he's now what 20 games into his career 20 started game more than 20 games 20 plus games i don't have the exact number in my head don't 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 bash me for that uh, ladies and gentlemen, but at this point, he's got to start making those reads. I mean, you just can't miss wide open plays. Like that was a big play in this game. If he hits Lewis there, it's a minimum fifty yard gain. There was no, there was wide open green. I mean, Lewis doesn't have the kind of speed to go to the house there, but it was wide open for big gain. And then obviously earlier in the game, it seemed like Jason Garrett, in my mind, went too quickly away from Wayne Gallman in this game. Early in the game, Wayne Gallman was creating big plays in the run game he finished with just 12 carries but he finished for 57 yards averaging nearly five yards per carry so my question for you is did they kind of bail from or I guess did, it's not the best question they kind of bail from the game plan or did you think that they didn't feature enough of Gallman in this game well on that seven play touchdown drive in the second quarter they did use Gallman Gallman looked good I feel like the offense got off to such a crappy start because of the strip sack fumble and then the Deion Lewis fumbling and then they were down and it weren't even down by that much I mean they went in the halftime down 13 to nothing so it wasn't anything astronomical but then the defense capitulated a little bit allowed a touchdown you're down 20 nothing and the Giants mounted the drive due to that deep pass to Golden Tate that he secured on the one yard line that led to the Deion Lewis touchdown I don't necessarily think it was just them getting away I think the game just kind of got away with uh from them but I don't think it was them necessarily straying too far away from Wayne Goldman like I said though when I saw Alfin for that one play and they ran the ball and they were kind of not in an up-tempo mode where they probably should have been I was like come on I think that's a spot where you need to put your best guns out there you should probably have Wayne Goldman out there but that wasn't the case yeah I didn't think they went to tempo fast enough I didn't think the biggest issue I had with this game plan and this is weird because he had started to do a better job of this Garrett, and he still doesn't do a very good job of it compared to the rest of the NFL, or at least the best play callers, but there was almost no pre-snap motion and misdirection used at all in this game plan. It was the most vanilla, from that standpoint, it was extremely vanilla. There were no end-arounds to Shepard, which we've seen work well. There was none of those throwback uh, screens or throwback throws with the receiver. There was very little pre-snap and motion and, and misdirection in this game plan. It was a very straightforward attack. Um, utilizing a lot of the route concepts Jones was comfortable with in this system at least obviously he had grew comfortable with a lot a very different form of of passing game with Pat Shermer that again I think he did a much better job of and the proof was in the pudding he had 24 t- passing touchdowns last year 12 interceptions more than six uh 600 more yards in the same amount of games and the Giants were at what 18th in scoring versus 31st but again it was very – that was what I thought. Did you feel that way? I, I guess I should ask like this. Did you feel that way, a little a little disappointed in the lack of misdirection and pre-snap motion? Yeah, I definitely think that's fair. At the same time, I wonder – and now this doesn't necessarily – shouldn't be assigned to the lack of pre-snap motion, but I do wonder how Garrett's game plan changed off the injury. I think that's a mm-hmm. fair assessment to see, especially as the game went on. We don't know – like. Jones could come off at the second drive and be like, yeah, it's tightening up a little bit. You know, we don't really exactly know. Maybe he had other 
play calls, and I'm just kind of playing devil's advocate here. Maybe he had more creative play calls that they couldn't really necessarily get to. But, I mean, you knew you were going into this game with a hobbled Daniel Jones anyway, so that could be unlikely. Just trying to play a little bit of devil's advocate. But, dude, it was just ugly in the sense that how many plays did the Giants run in the first half? Not many. Like 23, maybe? (laughs) I don't have the number in front of me, but... They started with the fumble. That was a five-play drive where they actually looked like they were moving the ball decently and then fumbled. Then a punt after three plays, a punt after five plays, a punt after three plays. So two three and outs, one first down in those next three possessions. Like 25 plays. And another fumble on the kickoff. And then obviously to end before the half, they had another six plays. Or I'm sorry, another nine plays. They had a three and out and then one drive that got one for 20 yards. It's really, it it was inept. This offense was completely inept and... You know, some people on Twitter have asked me, like, what the hell is happening with Darius Slayton? What's bad with him? And I and I told them, like, for the most part, from what I've seen on Darius Slayton on tape, he's doing a pretty good job creating separation this year. I don't really put this on Slayton. I mean, I, I don't know if you feel any differently. To me, the, the biggest issue with this offense to me is is the passing, is the design. And I, I remain that way. The three games kind of put me off a little bit. Like, who is Garrett starting to figure it out? Was it just the O-line? Blah, blah, blah. But, you know, you see a lot of teams that don't exactly have the best protection, but it's just a totally different design. The idea of their passing game is not to just get to the sticks and keep everything so congested and in the same spot. It's to open up the fields. It's to stretch the seams. It's to challenge the defenses vertically. And I feel like I feel like Garrett does that sometimes, though, dude. He does, but like I'm taking, I'm talking. Their whole design is that, like the majority of their passing okay. plays are stretching the field and putting the pressure yeah, the on Giants the Giants. Run a lot of quick over and over, yeah. and the Giants just the major, their design is mostly not that. He does mix it in sometimes really well, and that's why we started to get excited. He did it against Philly, Washington, Cincinnati. We saw some examples of it at times, mm-hmm. but I just can't let these examples overrule the, the overall <laughs> product and. 31st in scoring speaks for itself, a total ineptitude. Like, yes, Daniel Jones couldn't move the ball with it. I'm sorry, couldn't move with his legs. But like you said, the shepherd dig, the ball to Tate, his arm was still there. He still had the arm to move. He was able to drive. He was able to drive the football with that hamstring injury. And that means he was able to drive it vertically. And yet, when when you're only mixing in a few plays, a game, four, five, six, seven plays like that with the with the double verts or with the four vert concepts, it's a different it's a different style of passing game. And I guess the quick game is okay to some extent. I liked it better when it was the the Pat Shermer version of it with the mesh routes and and trying to create separation and confusion with the defense rather than kind of bunching up in one spot and throwing all these curls and stick type stuff. But it is what it is at this point. This is the offense. I think at this point. It should not be a foregone conclusion that Jason Garrett gets another year here. I think if you're an owner of a football team or you're a head coach, Joe Judge, or you're Dave Gettleman, a GM, I don't know who ultimately makes this decision, and I'm sure it's all them together, you need to consider that they have the 31st-ranked offense, and yet they've made investments on the offense year after year after year. Will Hernandez at 34, Andrew Thomas at 4. They traded for Kevin Zeitler. They drafted another lineman who's playing decent, Shane Lemieux. Darius Slayton's playing pretty well. They signed Sterling Shepard. They signed Golden Tate. They drafted Evan Ingram in the first round. It's not like he's working with nothing here. And and it's not like the Giants' offense is working with nothing here. This is not an offense to me that should be 31st in the NFL in scoring. I think it's definitely fair to say that you should consider it. I don't think it's a foregone conclusion, nor do I think it should be a foregone conclusion but I think you should always consider it when you're a team that has a subpar offense I think that's always yeah. something that you should do no one should ever become complacent
in anything really in life but especially in this because if you do have the 31st ranked offense why would you not consider it and that's not me saying that he should be out I know that's the popular thing to say right now I'm not necessarily saying that but I do think if say Jay Gruden or another kind of offensive coordinator that Joe Judge may have some kind of past with if he comes becomes available and he's a better fit then you should definitely explore that. Now, I know that comes into the whole thing, do you really want Daniel Jones learning another vernacular, learning his third offense? And no, necessarily I don't. But if it's going to benefit him in the long run and benefit this team in the long run, then I definitely think that's something you have to explore. And that's the crux of it, isn't it, really, Nick? I it mean, is, yeah. that's the total crux of it right now. <laughs> it's a double-edged sword. It's On one end, you're asking a quarterback, a young quarterback, to learn his fourth system in four years. If you consider, you know, not he didn't have to learn that Duke system his last year there, but it was a new system. So being his fourth system in fourth years. On the other hand, if this specific system doesn't fit this quarterback skill set, you're just treading water and wasting time by going back to him just to give the guy another year in the same system. It's why I kind of wanted them desperately to sign Gruden in a lot of ways because I saw a lot of what Gruden does in his passing game and what Pat Shermer did. I want to try to keep it as close as possible to what Shermer gave Jones last year. I didn't want to do a total reboot like this seems to be with Garrett. I mean, I don't see much at all of what Shermer did in Garrett's system when I watch this team on offense. Do you? I mean, I think a lot of offenses have a lot of similar concepts. It's how you employ the concepts. And no, I, I would say that Shermer's offense was much more mesh heavy it was much more half field read quick read which you do see in jason garrett so from that standpoint actually i would say yes but they are different identities especially when in terms of rushing the football well i mean well from that i just mean the passing game though oh yeah from the passing i mean yes i think concepts are sort of universal around the NFL. Everyone used similar concepts. But there seems to be a lot seemed to be a lot more mesh in, in Pat Shermer's offense. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. And that was a staple. That was a staple. That was a staple and yeah. versus this staple, which you've said would be stick. Would be stick. Yes. So stick versus mesh for me, I'm just team mesh. Spacing <laughs> spacing concepts in general. And when yeah. teams like we've brought it up several times in the podcast, but I'll say it again to beat the dead horse. When teams sniff out your spacing concepts, which are just basically, you know, five curls, four curls across the field and they sit on that, then that's going to be a problem because they can get to the catch point, disrupt the catch point, especially when you have players like Evan Ingram who aren't really necessarily great at securing the football, and that's caused, what, three interceptions for this year? At least, plus some close ones, versus Mesh, where if they're playing man, you can sometimes get natural picks that create big plays after the catch. If they're playing zone, you can get to a point where you can sit in the zone on the Mesh. And it's not just that. I feel like the staples that you talked about, like you just said earlier, the third and five play where the the announce the not the announcers, the Fox broadcast crew, which did a much better job this week, by the way. Let's just mention that because we were yeah. harsh on the crew last week. They showed the all twenty two angle of that, and there was literally no routes breaking into the middle of the field. And, well, that's a play we see a lot too. And we've seen that play yeah. a lot. It's a whip route outside with a seven corner over the top, and then on the backside it's a vert. And we see that play a lot. There's nothing over the middle of the field, which isn't great. I, what I would like to see a little bit more from Jason Garrett in terms of route concept that we did see in Shermer, to kind of go back to what we mm-hmm. were just talking yeah. about, is just a simple drag. It doesn't even have to be a mesh concept, which is two drags, you know, with the motion, the mosh. It could just be yeah. a drag route. And that's all you need because that's going to create horizontal spacing. It can act as a clear out, and it's a check down option. Yeah. You see that v- very common in air raid offenses with stuff like the Arizona Cardinals. You see it all the time in Mike Leach. Basically, almost every passing play, Mike Leach at Mississippi State has a drag route implemented mm-hmm. because it's an easy check down. It's an I like easy, that too. quick completion. Get the ball into someone like Evan. Think about the touchdown pass to Evan Ingram against Tampa Bay last yes. year. What was that? It was a drag route. The dude took 70 yards. Yes, and he did it against Washington a couple years ago, or it was either last year or two years back. He took a similar route. 
And it fits his skill set very well. Absolutely. And it's perfect for high-low type of concepts because you have a drag route. So then you have a linebacker. Oh, no, I got Evan Ingham dragging in front of me. Let me go bounce on that. Behind him, you hit him with a dig, a deeper post kind of route, and then mm-hmm. you can open up more space on the field. Yeah. So It's I, a different way to open up space on the field. Yes, and that's what, that's what it's all about in offense, man, is I feel like sometimes we don't necessarily – see that as uh, consistently as we need to in this specific offense, probably a big reason why we are 31st. I think it is a huge reason why we're 31st, and I think it fits. I think the the issue with it is concept. you can argue, we can argue all we want about the conceptual idea of it, what type of style we like better, the, the, using stick for your quick game or using mash and drags for your quick game. That can be an argument that I bet other people qualified could say, you know what, actually, I think Jason Garrett has a good idea for this because x and x but what you can't really say is that jones is better with stick versus mesh because jones has now enough tape in last year's offense versus this year's offense to show that he threw great balls on those mesh concepts and those drags he put the ball in a really good spot for yak there were tons of plays that we saw on tape last year that we talked about throughout the year on our all 22 reviews that we said damn that was really good placement by jones where not all quarterbacks would put in that spot to maximize the yards after the catch and i feel like in this offense i have not seen enough design routes that maximize yard after the catch based on where the ball's placed. And I don't know if that's an issue with Jones, but more so it seems like it's an issue with the route concepts. There's not many, we haven't turned many of these uh, stick routes into, into big plays after the catch at all, for starters. And it just seems like there hasn't been many huge yak plays all season long in this offense. I think that's a fair statement. I really do. Yeah. And that's tough because Jones, one of his best skills last year was putting the ball in spots for yak. Yes. And that's, in general, one of... If he's going to be the franchise quarterback, which I remain completely unsold on, and that doesn't mean I don't think he will be, but it just means all you people who went nuts on me when I said the 2 of 10 thing are just not listening to what it really means. It's hard to say with certainty this guy's going to be here in five years when he doesn't throw any touchdown passes and the offense is 31st in the NFL. Like On one end, we are blaming... I am blaming this offensive system, but we have to look ourselves in the mirror and also ask if this is a Daniel Jones problem. That's a fair assessment of it also. And I know you and I have talked about this, and I think you've been very fair with this too. Daniel Jones, I mean, the reason why Wayne Gallman has as many touchdowns as he has is more of a byproduct of Daniel Jones' success. Literally, a lot of these plays were a yard or two yards Mm -hmm. more. They would be touchdowns, and they would be accredited to Daniel Jones. So that's just to be fair. But at the same time, I'm right where I was at. I'm still at five with Daniel Jones. I think that's a fair assessment. I think it's an objective assessment of Jones because we can't be 100% sure. But at the same time, I'm not willing to throw him to the wind. I know you're not either, but we just need to see more, and we need to see more consistency from this young And I'm probably up to like three or four or probably four because I like that stretch of what he showed on tape in the the three games before this one. I thought he showed really good signs of the things he was struggling with and improved on. But, you know, at the same time, at, at some point we do have to look ourselves in the mirror. We can't just keep burying every excuse around. We can't make every excuse around him the offensive coordinator, the lack of skill players, the offensive line, because at some point you have to transcend that. I don't honestly think that Justin Herbert, for example, is working with too much over there in L.A. I don't really feel like... He has, more, he has more than Jones, but like they're, they're just different. He like, has better receivers yeah. than Jones, but yeah. that O-line is an absolute disaster right now in, in yeah. Los Angeles and has been all season. So the Giants' offensive line, we thought, was turning a corner. Definitely. And at the but very least... This game... Ugh. Yeah, we'll have to see what happened in this game with the offense. All right, let's talk a little bit about the defense, Nick, and I want to start with the pass rush. Last week, the Giants did an excellent job of slowing down the Seattle Seahawks offense by getting pressure with their front four. They had a similar strategy this week, but it didn't exactly work against a 
I would call it maybe slightly upgraded offensive line from Seattle, but certainly not a premier offensive line. What do you attribute to the struggles the Giants had generating a pass rush this game? I mean, they would have to definitely kind of dive into it to see from all 22 standpoint, but just from the broadcast, it seemed like the stunts and the pressure packages from four man that Patrick Graham was employing, they just weren't working. They were being blocked up. The transitions were much smoother than they were against the Seattle Seahawks. I mean, Dalvin Tomlinson had the one sack, but sacking Kyler Murray only one time. We've seen Murray be rattled by teams like the New England Patriots in the past, and for whatever reason, the Giants couldn't do anything with four men. The loss of Darnay Holmes probably affected the slot, maybe affected what they were going to bring as a blitzer. I'm not really 100% sure what the pressure percentage was in this game. I would definitely need to probably re-watch the film. I mean, getting pressure on Kyler Murray in general and sacking him and corralling him is difficult yes. enough. There was a couple times where I felt like you saw Dexter Lawrence in the pocket chasing him, but it's like, okay, that's never going to be a winning battle by any means. So I would really just probably have to get to the film to see why these stunts and why these pre- pressure packages and what kind of pressure packages they were and why they didn't work. Yeah, and at the same time, like you said, I mean, they looked like they had a game plan to try and contain Murray. They had some plays with spies in there. They had, you know, you saw a play where Carter Coughlin had contained, lost contained, but it's really hard to keep contain against Kyler Murray. I think at this stages of their career, Russell Wilson, to me, from what I've seen on tape from him this year, especially in that giant game, his athleticism has taken a little bit of a notch down. I think it might be that he's playing through an injury. It might just be the wear and tear of a season, but it's not the same as Kyler Murray. It's not really even close. I don't think it was ever close. It probably wasn't ever close, yeah. yeah. But at this point, Murray is just a completely different player to contain. If that's your game plan to try to contain him like they did against Russell really well, it, it doesn't, I mean, it didn't really work in this game. It wasn't, I'm not saying it was a bad game plan by Graham. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm just saying it's probably the only thing you can try to do against Murray, but you still have to hit, you still have to pretty much hope for things to break your way to contain him. And he had, what, eight, nine, ten rushing attempts in this game? I believe he actually had finished the game with 13 rushing attempts. Um, so obviously he, they, it was part of their game plan going into this game. They watched that Seattle game tape and they said, we can probably chew up a few yards, keep the clock churning by just some design, easy quarterback runs that we're not going to try to break for 15 or 20, but we'll take the four or six they're giving us. Yeah. And a lot of those were just Kyler Murray, I think improvising too. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's nothing downfield. Cause you yeah. have guys like James Bradbury and you have the solid covering defenders at the Giants have on the back end of their defense and then he was like okay well I have this green grass in front of me I'm just gonna take advantage of that so yeah and I think like it's not like the Giants had any kind of massive breakdown from their run defense this week like you may think like oh you know Blake Martinez was he playing hurt so would it affect the entire defense I mean with the exception of that 36 yard gain Kenyon Drake had 22 carries for what was it 54 yards with the exception that 36 yard gain so they really just totally stymied the cardinals interior running game and jay simmons by the way did a little bit better but not too much and so it seemed like that wasn't really they didn't really take a step back there just really they weren't able to do what they were able to do against seattle for the extended period which was generate pressure with the front four or cover so well in the back end that nothing's open and they did do it a lot in the first half they had the goal line stand which is a huge credit to, to this defense then and besides that they almost got them to a point where they held another stop in the red zone but then kyler murray just made an otherworldly play where the pressure got there he was falling off his back foot about to get sacked and drops the ball over the top of the defense in a perfect spot for the tight end dan Arnold to make the catch for the touchdown i mean that could have been a field goal right there so i don't really we'll see on the all 22 but i don't think i'm going to come away from this one having too much to knock the defense for neither do i especially when you consider how many plays they yes. they had to be out there for in the first half of the game they were dead tired because the offense couldn't sustain any type of drives 
And with the exception of DeAndre Hopkins, no one got going at all for this Cardinals passing game. Dan Arnold, two receptions, 27 yards. Chase Edmonds was their next leading receiver, four for 21. They got nothing from Max Williams, who we thought could be a threat in this. They got nothing from Christian Kirk. And they got nothing from Larry Fitzgerald, for the most part. Two for 10, three for 14. So really was just that kind of middle intermediate area where Hopkins does his best work right now especially in this offense and a lot of that is just the pressure wasn't there with the front four and eventually you know you're going to get open in a zone if you're a receiver like DeAndre Hopkins yeah and there was one play too where I think deepest pass to DeAndre Hopkins whatever game that was where Tay Crowder probably didn't get the necessary depth in his drop could have got high load by an underneath route maybe a drag route because Mm -hmm. this is an air raid type of system and him not having that depth allowed DeAndre Hopkins to get that huge gain that was kind of one of the daggers in the Giants hearts yeah, and then there was the 20-yard ball he threw to Dan Arnold, like not the touchdown, the 20-yard pass. Hmm. It was just a rip by Murray. He threw it over the top of the Giants zone and in between the safety. And he just that's just like beautiful arm talent. The, the velocity and the placement on that and to get it and the trajectory to get it over the defense. And that's just going to happen when you're facing a quarterback with his kind of talent. So I don't come away from this one too discerned with the defense. I'll say that. If you guys are looking for positives from this game, it's that I don't think the defense took some kind of major step back. It's just that you can't ask them to have a game like Seattle every week where they completely carry a team. It worked one time against Seattle. It's not going to work every week. The offense can't put up 159 yards and expect to win. It's just never going to work in today's NFL. It's never going to work in any NFL, I don't think. No, no, and it shouldn't work either. And again, even if the Giants came away with that fumble from Kenyon Drake, what is that going to do? Like The Giants aren't going to be able to mount an offensive drive with a hobble Daniel Jones and absolutely no momentum from the offense you would hope that would be some kind of spark but it was a it was a just dis- again to go back to what I said in the beginning of the podcast Dan it was a very disappointing game for sure it was and just from the overall standpoint obviously we all came into this week with a lot of hope a lot of expectations there was a lot of you know optimism in the Giants community I love the conversations we had with a lot of you during the week on Twitter I love the fact that you know we saw a nice uptick in our downloads this week which is always a good thing and there's a reason why this was the most optimistic Giants fans had to be about this roster in a really long time and for good reason they really had an excellent victory against the Seattle Seahawks but ultimately overall this was a nice come down to or not a nice this was a realistically this was a come down to earth game and they have to see where they're at now so let's take a look and preview that playoff picture right now because it got a lot more convoluted after this week's games obviously at the time of when it happened I didn't know for sure if that Washington win over Pittsburgh was going to really haunt the Giants because I felt they had enough momentum to come away with a win against Arizona and they kind of controlled their own destiny they no longer control their own destiny because Nick Mullins threw a disgusting pick so he's so trash bro and Nick Nick Pilato is not a fan of Nick Mullins let me just make one thing clear Nick Pilato is not a fan of Nick Mullins that was a very fresh that was a very disappointing game to watch as well it was extremely disappointing because the Niners could have won that game if not for a forced fumble recovery for a touchdown and a pick six. They literally spotted the Washington football team 14 points, and then they had to go to Haskins, who nearly threw a back-breaking interception, but it didn't matter by that point because the defense had scored so many points. Whatever, they won that game. Then the Eagles somehow figured out a way to pull out a win against the Saints, which is just, just turned this day into an even bigger disaster for the Giants. So here's how it looks right now. Washington's a game up on the Giants, and the they play the following teams Seattle next week at home in Washington Carolina after that a team that is really on the ropes not playing good football had a nice start to the season but have been decimated by some bad injuries and just they're just not playing well right now as a young team and then at Philly which is interesting they're one game up on the Giants the Giants have Cleveland at Baltimore Dallas at this point I feel like the Giants need to win at minimum two of these three 
because even if they do win two of the three, then they need Washington to lose two of their three. And it's going to be like I could see them losing to Seattle, but then Carolina, Philly. I guess they could potentially lose to Philly that last week. So let's say best case scenario, Giants win two of the next three, which would include a Dallas win. So they split with Cleveland and Baltimore, which is going to be a tall task to begin with with a hobble Daniel Jones. But let's see, maybe it's possible. In that scenario, the Eagles, who are now a half game back from the Giants, hopefully you're following us right now, have Arizona in Arizona next week. So that's who knows what to make of that game. This Arizona team hopefully is hitting its stride, and this is a sign of things to come, and we can at least bank on that. But then they have Dallas, and then they finish up with Washington. So if they lose to Arizona and they beat Dallas, they'll go into that last game with only five and a half wins. So at that point, you're following us. The Giants will have six, and they'll be one game ahead of the Eagles to the point where it'll be a simple uh, scenario for the Giants. They'll need to beat Dallas, and they'll need Philly to beat Washington. Ultimately, what it's going to come down to is the Giants are going to need one, to win one of these two games against Cleveland and Baltimore, without a doubt, and they're going to need Philly to ultimately to beat Washington but also to lose to Arizona next week. Because if Philly beats Arizona and beats Dallas and beats Washington, then Philly gets in over the Giants. Unless, of course, the Giants can win out against Cleveland in Baltimore and then Dallas. So if your head's not spinning right now, mine is even from going over that, Nick. What, what would you? What, where do you feel right now about the playoff? I don't feel confident at all, mm-hmm. to be honest. If I'm going to be real, <laughs> I mean, you have Philadelphia and Washington playing each other. You have Philadelphia right on our coattails here here and the Giants have Cleveland Baltimore and Dallas I mean I would say out of the four teams the Giants have the hardest schedule right now without a doubt yeah it's not even I don't even think it's a debate yes I mean you look at Dallas even they got San Francisco who is an atrocious team led by Nick freaking Mullins they, they should turn to CJ Beathard he gives a bad name to Nick's Yes, he, he, All across he he's America. been he's a professional athlete who's probably a millionaire despite <laughs> the fact that he was like I don't even know if he was drafted. <laughs> he was a late round pick, but he gives a bad name to our Knicks right now because he beat the Giants and he's losing to teams like Washington. But then you have Dallas, man. I mean, they get that Nick Mullins game possibly, maybe CJ Beathard. Then they have Philly. And if they win against San Francisco and then they beat Philadelphia and the Giants don't win against Cleveland. This is this is looking like well, the Giants could this, the Giants could be the last team in the division. They could potentially finish last in the division for sure. That is without a doubt in their picture. They could easily Cleveland is a really good football team right now. Like know, to man. expect the Giants to beat Cleveland is going to be real with a hobble Jones is going to be tough. I mean like it was not they're face the Cleveland is a better team than Arizona. Cleveland's been slept on all season. They're basically what the Giants are but a much better version in my mind of what the Giants are. I I would say the Giants defense is better. Yeah, the Giants overall defense is better yeah. but they're not even anywhere near them on offense. And no. but just from the I just mean from the physical standpoint they want to be this physical yeah, team yeah. that wins at the point of attack. So that's going to be tough. And then at Baltimore, Baltimore's starting to kind of re-hit that stride. But I feel like they have a weird chance to potentially keep up there. I think they can kind of slow down Lamar Jackson and do a good job against him in the passing game. We'll see if I'm right about that, but I kind of feel decently optimistic about that. In Baltimore is the thing that kind of scares me for whatever sure. reason, even though there's not fans. Even still not the fan. <laughs> but ultimately, you're right. I mean, every scenario at this point is in play for the New York Giants football team from first in the division to last in the division. And if they do fall into last in the division, it'll probably be somewhere around the 8th or ninth or 10th pick in the 2020 NFL, or sorry, 2021 NFL draft. And then it gets into an interesting range of outcomes. And we'll talk about all that in the offseason, of course. Hopefully it doesn't come to that. Hopefully the Giants can still pull this out. 
for everyone's sake. We all want to see Jones get some experience in the playoffs. I think that's most important for me, seeing Daniel Jones take a playoff snap and seeing if he has any of that Eli Manning magic in him. I mean, let's be honest. Eli Manning was a considerably better quarterback in the playoffs than the regular season. He had something in him, something innate in him that came out. Now, to be fair to Eli Manning versus Daniel Jones, Eli Manning also had that at various times in his career and throughout his career, even before those playoff runs and during and after those playoff runs in regular seasons where he had that in the fourth quarter of games. Daniel Jones has not put that on tape with the exception of that Bucks drive that he led for a touchdown that Slayton, to be quite honest, bailed him out of on that fourth down where he fell backwards in the pocket and threw it behind and Slayton made a great play. He hasn't had that kind of magic yet, but I want to see if he has that in the playoffs. So that's why I want to see if he can get there. But, you know, it's an open-ended book right now. And ultimately, we'll see what happens. But it looks a lot grimmer, unfortunately, than where it was at. Literally, twelve hours ago, it looked so. Much, yeah, it looked so much better there was than so what it much is now. hope for this team just twelve hours ago. Unless you were Vegas, and Vegas still had the Cardinals as favorites, so maybe they knew something was up. But listen, good or bad, we're going to be here to give you the analysis. We got all twenty-two breakdowns coming this week. We may have a little special surprise. I know we tease special surprises a lot. Some may be better than others. This one, if it comes through, and I don't want to jinx it by saying what it is yet, is going to be the best thing in my mind that we've ever had on the Big Blue Banter podcast. So just keep in mind, later this week, around Thursday or Friday, if all things go according to plan, we've got a special treat episode for you on the Big Blue Banter podcast. But on that note, we're going to wrap up the quick reaction takeaway show, and we're going to first do that do so by thanking all of the people who poured in this week and gave us ratings and reviews on iTunes. I know we asked for them a lot, and I really thank all of you who take the time to go to iTunes and give us a rating review. Even some of you who honestly have not downloaded iTunes before or don't have any usage for iTunes, you use other platforms for your music, for your phone. The fact that you went and downloaded just to give us a rating review really says a lot and really means a lot to us. Last week, we were talking about getting to that 400 mark. We've surpassed that 400 mark thanks to you guys who have taken the time. And we're really at an excellent number of ratings right now. If it wasn't for the fact that I want more ratings to help us grow this show, I would really be content with where we're at right now. We're at 420 ratings, 420. It's a great number of ratings to be at. Why do you think, really, that's, a, why do you think that's a great really, number, dude? Really, really <sighs> excellent stuff, you know. I'm a big fan of that number. It really makes you feel like you're on top of the world, like you're yeah. just high up. There, yeah, you know? exactly. You know, yeah. it's just a good number to be at. But I want to thank some of you. And like I said, I promised I will definitely read some of these. So I want to start by thanking, uh, let's start by thanking DC, DC Ken. I hope I pronounced your name right. Giants Diehards. You guys are kind of nerds, but the podcast content is very well done. I respect that review, DC Ken, because guess what? You know what? We are kind of nerds. And I, I, I'll admit it. I am definitely more than kind of nerd. When it comes to football, I'm a massive nerd. When it comes to real life, I'm probably more than a kind of nerd. I'm a big fan of shows like Rick and Morty. I like sci-fi. I like weird things that people would consider weird or nerdy. So, yeah, I'll take that review. Honestly, one thing I got to say that I, I disagree with you. Rick and Morty is not nerdy, in my opinion. Okay. Sci-fi? It's sci-fi, but that show is is so clever, which I guess you could say is nerdy, but it's so dark and funny at the same time. Oh, it's the best. I mean, it's, it's such a great show. It's so well done. Rick and Morty is, especially season one. I mean, it's season two had some some great hits as well. The the past few seasons have been great because they're Rick and Morty, and you still get some of the great banter there and some of the jokes. But season one had just clever episode after clever episode, just incredible yeah. storyline writing um, by Dan Harmon and Justin Roiland. But yeah, so I'll take that. You know what? Maybe I'm not a nerd, but no, nah, nah, I definitely am a nerd. <laughs> um, Gigi Heim, or Gigi, Gigi Heim, 
Oh man, this is this could be a, one of my worst pronunciations ever. Dude, I'm <laughs> gonna like take that sound clip and just before every podcast, we're gonna jime. Junior Jime Ten said, "Awesome pod, really appreciate you guys with your analysis and willingness to adapt your takes as you get more information." And finally, keep the megapods coming. I love the hour plus Giants banter. Thank you for doing it. L money, L dot money. Big name, big time name. Really enjoy the podcast, the post game, and all 22 analysis you guys give each week. I like that you make it entertaining and easy to listen to, whether you are someone with high football knowledge or someone new to the game. I don't love when you talk about your lives because I would prefer you. I would prefer to think you don't do anything other than watch film, but no one is perfect. I love that. <laughs> that's a, that's love a great that. review. That was a great review. Um, let's see who else threw us one this week. Big J Murph says, an awesome pod. I've been following Dan's content for years. It's always smart, opinionated, entertaining. This pod is no different. Hmm, I wonder why I decided to read this one. Nah, just messing. <laughs> this is kind of random. But great for fans looking to dive into the X's and O's. Everyone should give this pod a listen. Murph, thank you, Murph. And to everyone else who stepped in and delivered us those five-star ratings this week, I'm really happy, and I really just wanted to thank you. Finally, I want to read one more. Chris from Millbrook, New York says, love your podcast. It's been my go-to to get Giants info. I am new to the podcast and stumbled onto it. So thanks for keeping me distracted and informed. This, this is I, I wanted to bring this up because I want to know if you guys are listening and if you leave a review, you feel free to ask a question. We'll answer it in the pod. But also let us know how you found our podcast. We're always looking to find out how we found new listeners. When you know the season carried over from last year, and you know we already had a really strong fan base. Some of you guys I know have found our content through my Twitter or through Nick's Twitter, or you know just stumbled onto it. But if you are one of the few who are in the latter category and you've stumbled onto it, let us know how you've done it. I'm really curious to hear how our podcast is reaching you and how we can reach more people like you who want to hear this type of content. So simple as that. And lastly, the last thing I'll ask for those of you who haven't done the ratings, reviews, download, subscription, do it. And lastly, follow us on Instagram, mybigbluebanter. Our boy Sean is over there killing the content game. I am a big fan of Instagram in general. I probably use it way too much. I've been trying to get the hell off of it, but we are now over 700 followers. He started this page from scratch, and we have 732 followers, which is freaking awesome. We're starting to see some interactions in the comment section. I got to jump on there more and start to talk to you guys. You, uh, I already use Instagram way too much. It's a big distraction for me, but hopefully I can turn it into some positive by hanging out with you guys on the NY Big Blue Banter account. Anything else you guys want to know from us, hit us up on Twitter as always. Let us know what other kind of content you want to hear in season or outside of season. We've got some big pl- things planned for the offseason as well. On that note, we're going to jump off now. We'll talk to you later this week with both All-22 breakdowns and hopefully, if all things go according to plan, fingers crossed, a big surprise later in the week. Football is back in full swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. You have to evaluate it day by day. To me, just watching Daniel Jones, I was saying it. I was like, you got to get him out. He just looked very uncomfortable. 
back there, especially towards the end. And there was a couple of those sacks where, yeah, you can call them covered sacks. He was holding on to the football. But we've seen in the past, Daniel Jones, we've knocked him sufficiently for the times where he did hold on to the football too long. But he also bails a lot in those situations. And he just didn't because I don't think he had the ability to do so. And that's going to be an issue against any football team, especially when the Cardinals just put on tape the fact that they were able to generate so much pressure with four guys and the fact that you're not going to really have to play against Daniel Jones's legs if he can't run. You're obviously going to be cognizant of it, but if he shows through the first quarter, the second quarter that he's not doing it, you don't need to keep any kind of quarterback spy. You can drop him to a deeper depth in your zone and play, you know, top-down type of defense. Yeah, you're 100% right. And I want to touch on something you mentioned as well in your intro, and that's the offensive line play. My question here is, we had been trending in the very right direction on the offensive line for weeks now, and then this was a major step backward. The Giants gave up six sacks with Jones in the game, and then two with McCoy, so it's not fully to be blamed on, obviously, Jones' lack of mobility. After the game, Wayne Gallman said that the Cardinals give credit to the Cardinals coaching staff. They did things we we hadn't seen all season on tape. He didn't go into any specifics. They asked Jones about that same question. They said, Gallman said, you guys, uh, the Cardinals did things you guys didn't see on tape. And he's like, you know, all defenses try to do stuff that we don't see type of things. Kind of cop out, but. Did you know that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? I'm Kat, founder of Ritual. We're making traceability the new standard for the supplement industry. When I was pregnant, I couldn't find a multivitamin I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested, and clean label project certified. Oh, and our vitamin D3? It comes from sustainably harvested lichen from England, not sheep. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast. 